dedicated uh, message today, um, and it is something I have been really wrestling with God about, and I think you'll come to see some of this. You know, as pastors, we love to give the messages that are really encouraging to us and uplifting. Uh, I can do all things through Christ, uh, although we don't mention that that's really written in the midst of Paul's sufferings. We kind of skip on that part, but we, you know, we want this to be kind of, uh, in our flesh, we want this to be kind of this... Uh, this pep rally for Christians that we can go out there and conquer the world. And in a sense, it is. Um, and I want to start this new season. This is the first Sunday we've met without the Shreveport Church. As those of you know, a couple weeks ago, the end of June, we uh, commissioned and launched out the Shreveport Church. They'll be meeting tonight um, at our downtown uh, city center location. So we're praying for them. And Weston's kind of pulling double duty right now, leading us in worship. And he'll be leading that, uh, that tonight out there. But I want to start this new season with just a reminder of why we're here and what we hope to accomplish. And eventually we're going to talk about this idea of prayer um, and uh, the prayer of uh, relinquish. So as a church, we're really uh, really kind of founded on these pillars or these identities. And we talk about them a lot, that we want to be disciples, we want to be family, and that we want to be missionaries. And all of those three things kind of overlap, but to miss one of them is to miss how the church of Jesus Christ is really supposed to live out our identities. As a disciple, we aren't trying just to learn more information about God, but seeing us becoming more like him, being conformed into his image. And that's what scripture says, right? The work that's begun in us, that God is going to continue to completion. And all of us, even now, that claim to be followers of Christ are being conformed into his image. Like the great uh, illustration of the Old Testament of the potter and the clay. If God the wise father is, uh, is, is the potter and he is molding that clay into the image that he knows that clay was made for. And God is doing that work in us. And he's using difficulties and trials and victories and success and encouragement through brothers and sisters all to get us to that point. So we want to be disciples. We also want to be family, that we would really seek out to live the one another's of Scripture in real ways, loving one another, bearing one one another's burdens, forgiving one another, speaking truth to one another, and so many more of those, but be real family together. And then finally, as missionaries, that we understand that just as God sent Jesus, Jesus said that he is sending us. That we all, if we claim to be followers of Jesus, we are the sent ones. We are being sent to our workplaces where we live, work, and play. Certainly God stirs our heart and gives us a passion for other things and other ministries and causes us to move neighborhoods or move towns or or move across the world to accomplish this very thing. But God has a missionary call on your life too. And as we think and dream about this next season God's leading us to, I want to talk about prayer because I think prayer is the thing that kind of ties all of this together. We won't be disciples unless we pray. We won't be able to persevere as as a family of God, as a Christian family, unless we pray. We'll never be able to accomplish the mission work that God has put before us unless we pray. Last week at at one of our elder meetings, we have several um, elders in training, uh, Thomas Ballard being one of those. And he asked me, as we're talking about this new season and what the finances are going to look like, and uh, it's just all kind of uh, difficulty in our, in our family, uh, our faith family. He says, well, Luke, what are you praying for? I'd like to pray with you. What exactly are you praying for? And the prayer that had been on my lips is in Philippians 2, that we would have this attitude in ourselves that's the same as Jesus, right? That he didn't consider equality but with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself. He emptied himself. And that's what I was thinking and praying. And I spent this last week kind of narrowing down, okay, what exactly am I praying? 
And I want to start off um, in Luke 22, and this is a familiar passage to you, I'm sure. It's Jesus at the Mount of Olives. It says, of course, you know, this is uh, right after uh, the Last Supper and on the way to the, uh, the cross that he will certainly bear in the coming days. He says, he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when they came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples. Surely his buds would be with them. And he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Doesn't this scene just kind of grab you? It kind of grabs your heart and emotion to see the Savior of the world praying with such passion and fervor to very, you know, drops of blood falling from him like sweat. It's such a serious and somber moment. We know what's about to happen. But the thing that I want us to focus on is Jesus praying for God's will to be done. Earlier, Jesus has taught his disciples to pray this way, your kingdom come, your will be done. That was not just theory prayer. We see Jesus living this out as he faced this bitter cup. This is what Richard Foster in his book on prayer calls the prayer of relinquishment. One commentator gives this warning before we move any further on the prayer of relinquishment. Be careful, this prayer will change you. This word relinquishment is not a word that we use very often anymore, but it's close to maybe the one we use for surrender. But it's more than that. It carries this idea of real struggle. So I've struggled and I struggle and I struggle. And finally, because I've worn myself out, I I give up and I surrender. I relinquish my right to whatever. To explain it, he says, Foster does, we begin to enter into a grace-filled releasing of our will. When we pray this prayer, we have this attitude, a grace-filled releasing of our will and a flowing into the will of the Father. It is the prayer of relinquishment that moves us from struggling to releasing. This prayer is a bona fide letting go, but it's a release with hope. God is not destroying the will, but transforming it so that we can freely will what God wills. This is an ongoing process. It's a daily, every moment by moment sacrifice of our own will to the will of God. We are changed little by little by the daily crucifixion of our will. This is the, God, I don't want to do that kind of prayer, but I trust you in your plan that your will would be done. And this is the kind of prayer that changes us. This is what Martin Lloyd-Jones was talking about, as we even mentioned last week, deciding with God against myself. That as we live life, and surely you've experienced this, what we want and what God wants seems to be on an opposite spectrum. Because the things we want, the things of comfort and flourishing and maybe our desires and to be in control these things that we want seem to be opposite of what God wants this isn't just this flippant okay God you're going to do it anyway no this is this submitting to the will of God that's in front of us and that is the kind of prayer that changes us more than we change the heart of God 
Once we've abandoned our own agendas and acknowledged our hopelessness, then we're in a position to fully receive what the Father has for us in abundance. New graces emerge. Joy at the success of others. Freedom from the burden of having to get our own way. Deeper intimacy with God overflows from our deeper dependency on God. It's not a really sexy thing to talk about the crucifixion of your will, but that's what I'm asking us to talk about, and that's what I'm inviting you to, church, that we would have a bloody crucifixion of our will and our desires, that we would be, as Romans 12 talks about, this living sacrifice, that we willfully submit to the will of the Father, and we put our yes on the table and let God put it where he wants it. This is the prayer of relinquishment. And this kind of prayer is what really changes us. It's the crucifixion of our will. Again, it's not wrong to pray for the things that you want. Praying for blessing or comfort or abundance. Nothing's wrong with all that. But this is the humble attitude that regardless of what God puts in front of us, that we trust him to bring about what's best. Because he is a loving father. This kind of prayer changes our vision. Just a few months ago in Acts chapter 10, maybe you remember, I think Weston preached on this topic of Peter praying on the rooftop. Do you remember this? He's praying up there and God shows him this vision of a blanket coming down from heaven with all these unclean animals on it and this invitation of Peter to rise and eat. And you remember what he says? He starts arguing with the Lord. No, Lord, I will not do that. And again, the blanket comes down. No, Lord, again, the blanket comes down. God says, Peter, don't deem unclean what I have deemed clean. And through the whole process, God is working in the heart of Peter so that he would reveal to him, to Peter, that he's got this bigotry and racism in his own heart towards the Gentiles, that the gospel was just for them and not for the Gentiles. And at the same time, he's awakened out of the vision with a knock at the door. You remember who's there? It's the men that Cornelius had sent. And he says, hey, go with them. God tells Peter this. So Peter goes and Cornelius and his whole household gets saved and Holy Spirit falls upon them. And it's this incredible thing. And because Peter was in a position of dependence and relinquishing of his own will, because he wanted the holy huddle, he wanted the Christianity to extend just to the people who were Jews. And God said, no, my heart is so much bigger than that. And this, this idea of relinquishing our will expanded the vision of Peter. Maybe you remember that even the church had like several meetings after that to try to determine if God could really do this. Like, can God really grant salvation to the Gentiles? And off it went. Do you see how Peter's vision was expanded so far past this little thing? I think of David Serbian here. I just think of what God might want to do in this room. That some of us think about the gospel and having its effect in our household, and that's great, and having its effect in our neighbors, and that's great, but God wants to do something so far greater than we could even imagine. David uh, recommended this book just in passing a couple weeks ago at the summit called uh, Mountain Rain. I mentioned it last week, the, the, the book that sounds like, uh, you know, your shampoo, Mountain Rain. And I encourage you to get it because uh, it, it's not uh, a quick read. It is phenomenally challenging. How this guy was studying in England to be an engineer, and he was this concert pianist, 
playing with the, the London Symphony and God moved his heart through a phrase that he read of Hudson Taylor's and he leaves all of that and goes to this unreached people and he has to learn the language for years and years and years and a decade after that, no real believers, the only real believers that had come to faith had, uh, had turned back to demon worship and he just begins to pray and a move of God happens and by the end of his life that people estimate maybe more than 50,000 Chinese and Burmese people come to Christ because of this one man's obedience. Now that's a prayer of relinquishment. God, not my will, but your will. I was reading just a couple of days ago about David Wilkinson. You probably recognize the name. Wrote uh, the book Cross and Switchblade. It's a Amazing story about him being a pastor in uh, Pennsylvania and reading in Time Magazine the story of all these young boys, teenage boys who were on trial for murder. They got caught up in gangs in the city of New York, and he's crying out to God, God, this shouldn't be right, these little kids on trial for murder. He said, God, you got to do something, and God breaks the silence and says, David, you do something. I'm sending you. And so David's, what do I know about gangs or New York? And he moves there and these incredible things happen and Times Square Church happens and, and God begins to move in New York and bring revival to these people and entire gangs began to be converted to Christ all because one man prayed this prayer of relinquishment saying, it's not my will, but your will. I appreciate their honesty saying most days they don't want to be there. That's to me, that's this idea of us aligning our will under God's will of saying, God, this is not about me and my life. This is not about what I want and my dreams. This is about what you want. The prayer of relinquishment changes our vision. It changes our motives. I heard one pastor talk about it like this. Think about this for, with me for a minute. What, what do you, if you took a survey of everyone in this room, a survey, what do you really want out of life? And we would have most things in common that we want a good job, we we want to have a, a good vacation. That we want to have a, we want to have Instagram-worthy friends, right? That do really cool stuff. That we want to say, you know, these are these are these are my people, and we want to have enough money to do whatever we want. Like we want satisfaction in life. This would be our list, right? We want we want people to respect us. And if you ask the world the same question, people who don't believe in Jesus, people who are far from God, maybe even people that are across the world. Ask them what they want, and I bet their list is very similar to our list. They want, they want a good life. They want a spouse that loves them, and they, they, they want meaning in their work. How is it that us being the people of God, that we desire the very same things that the rest of the unbelieving world wants? Maybe we would add on to our list at the very end, and we want the kingdom of God to come. But the kingdom comes by us sacrificing our will and yielding all things to God who leads us. The prayer of relinquishment changes our motives. Listen. If the church, by I mean, I mean not just the visible church people who raise their hand and say, hey, I'm a Christian, but if the church, the true believers of Jesus, who desire to follow him and follow his way around the world, if we just got serious about really following the way of Jesus, of praying, God, your will, not my will, if we got serious, the entire world could be changed in a year. There would be no more unreached people groups. There would be no more poverty. There would be, 
all of the things that, 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 that we read in the news again and again and that we bore ourselves with could be changed in a year. If, and not just that God would bring revival to people who don't know them, but if he would bring revival to the church, to, if he would bring revival to us, to where we would wake up and our heart would beat, not just for the things that we have to accomplish today, but for the brokenness of the world and people who are living without Jesus that live right next door to us. But we've numbed our heart to the heart of God. And we dismiss those things and we try to keep ourselves numb by entertainment and focusing on social media. And I'm not saying any of those things are bad. What I'm saying is we break the heart of God by living according to our own will. Instead of surrendering it up, even as Jesus did in this prayer of struggle in the garden. I love too in this passage, it, it says that Jesus, Jesus went, went there as was his custom. Like Jesus had this rhythm of, of departing early. We see that through the Gospels that he would remove himself and he would pray to the Father. I love that he even had places that he liked to go and pray. One of these was this Mount of Olives, that this was a sacred place for him. Maybe not for anyone else, it was for him. And he would go and he would pray and he's crying out to God. Church, what does God want to do in and through your life? Like, this is not a game we're playing. What does he want to use you to do? What is he calling you to step out in faith to something that's unknown beyond the next step? It's, it's scary. We're not, we're not in charge anymore. When's the last time you've placed yourself in a situation where you, you were so dependent on God in faith that if he didn't come through, then life was about to blow up into a million pieces? When's the last time that we even put ourselves in that situation? God calls Abraham to go to a place which I have not yet told you. And willingly, he packs everything he knows and follows him. Later on, his only son, Isaac, he would tell him to take him up a mountain, prepare this sacrifice. Abraham trusting God every step of the way, not knowing what was on the other thing, not knowing there was a ram in the thicket, not knowing anything, just trusting in God. That is, that is this attitude and prayer of relinquishment that this is not about me. It changes our vision and it changes our motives. It changes our legacies. There's three, three little components of this that I want to focus on. I only got 10 minutes, so I'm going to move through these pretty quickly. But three ways that, that we pray this prayer of relinquishment. First is the prayer of emptying. This is the one I spoke of earlier in Philippians 2. So Paul says, and in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage or something to be grasped, but rather he made himself nothing. Maybe your translation says there, but he emptied himself, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human, human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is this prayer of emptying. When's the last time you truly emptied yourself, poured yourself out on behalf of someone else? This prayer of emptying. This is the whole life of Jesus. He's emptying himself, taking on the form of a servant. Most of us, we want to exert our right to be king, don't we? We want to we demand that this is our kingdom and that, that my, my voice should have the most impact in this kingdom. I want to be in control. And that way, marital strife comes in when two different people want to be right, want to be in control. 
But Jesus says he's not doing that. He relinquishes his right to be king and then took the form of a servant. This is the prayer of emptying. There's also the prayer of surrender. This is the prayer that David prayed in Psalms 139. I think I have it on there. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous or wicked way in me and lead me into the way of everlasting. This is the prayer of surrender. If you've followed God very long, you know that God continually, again, conforms you into the image of his son. And as you walk with him, he brings conviction of sin and he exposes idols in our heart. And and, and we take a step of repentance and belief. And then the next day, here comes another thing and another thing. And God is always bringing this truth to us. And he's pointing these things out in our heart, putting his finger on one more idol, one more idol hidden within the crevices of our heart. Now, most of us love the idea of surrender in general. Like, yes, I'll surrender to you, but we have our, our own things that we don't want to give up. But this prayer of surrender is saying, God, everything is yours. Most of us, we pray that prayer, God, everything is yours. And then he asks us to sacrifice something for the kingdom. And then all we have then are excuses. And then there's this prayer of release. The third way to pray this, this prayer of release. This is the prayer of Jesus from the cross. Into your hands I commit my spirit, he says. He's given it all. This would be the way we would pray, Father, into your hands I commit my relationship. As you would have it. I, co- I commit to you my, my career or my finances or my kids or my neighbors or my coworkers or my vocation or my leisure or my everything. Into your hands, I'm giving it all over to you. I have no more control. I'm open-handed before you, God. When we do that, we are buoyed up by a confident trust in the character of God. Even when all we see are the tangled threads on the backside of life's tapestry. This is a quote from... Um, Foster's book, on the backside of life's tapestry, we know that God is good and he is out to do good to us always. And that gives us hope to believe that we are the winners, regardless of what we are being called upon to relinquish. God is inviting us deeper in and higher up. There is a training in righteousness, transforming power, new joys, deeper intimacy. This prayer of release. Sometimes the very thing that we relinquish is given back to us. Has Isaac given back to Abraham? And sometimes that doesn't happen. There are times when that release is permanent and such times we have to trust in the wisdom of God and ask for grace to rest in his peace. A settled peace, in fact, is the most frequent experience of those who have walked the path of relinquishment. He closes this part of his book, and I encourage you to to pick up the book. It's a good book. Uh, With his prayer of relinquishment, I want to read it to you. I'm not saying that you need to pray this way necessarily or pray these exact words. I think this will give you a spirit of it. Then I'm going to ask us a few questions, and we're going to close. Today, O Lord, I yield myself to you. May your will be my delight today. May you have perfect sway in me. 
May your love be the pattern of my living. I surrender to you my hopes and my dreams and my ambitions. Do with them what you will, when you will, as you will. I place into your loving care my family, my friends, my future. Care for them with a care that I can never give. I release into your hand my needs for control, my craving for status, my fear of obscurity. Eradicate the evil, purify the good, and establish your kingdom on earth. For Jesus' sake, amen. Man, that's a prayer church. I pray that we would be able to see our world through the lens of what God wants to do. Not about us and our comfort and our desires and what we want and our dreams. And I'm not saying it's bad to have any of those. But it's bad to let those trump everything else. Maybe I would end by asking you these, these two questions. I think I have them up there. What is, what is God asking you to relinquish? What are you holding tight to, not letting go? What's he asking you to relinquish? What do you need to release? Where do you need to surrender? Where do you need to trust him? You pray with me silently where you're at as I pray aloud. We don't do a formal invitation where you come up, but this is as, as close to an invitation as we're going to get. And I'm going to invite you right there in your seat to do business with God. Maybe it's been a long time since you've talked to him. Maybe you've been warring with him over something he's asking you to do and you've put it out of your mind, trying to keep yourself numb and busy with other things. And he's put a step in front of you and asked you to trust him. Would you repent of your pride and turn back to him? Maybe some of you in this room aren't believers and I'd love to pray with you about that as God moves your heart. I'll be standing in the back here in a moment and we'll sing another song. But if you'd like me to pray with you over maybe a struggle and decision, maybe you wanna come to cross this line of faith, put your trust in him, make him savior and Lord, I'd love to pray with you about that. Father, if we're honest, no posing in the room. Most of our lives look remarkably alike the rest of the world. What drives them drives us. What grieves them grieves us. And God, we're asking that you would do a supernatural work in our hearts. Expose sin and idolatry where there's bitterness and anger that's been caused by living in this broken world, Father, would you, would you heal those things in us? These areas of pride and arrogance that we've come so far with you, but we've stopped refusing to go any further because you're calling us into something deeper, something that we don't want to give. Could we pray like Jesus did in that garden? God, I don't want to do this and I don't want to go there. 
God, this is not about me. It's about you and your will. May our kids see that attitude in us. God, this is your church and your people. You're our pastor. Lead us where you need to. Convict us. Encourage us. We'll see what you want to do through us this next season. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to be praying in the back. You can pray with me. Wes and Kate are going to lead.